This message was recorded at an In Christ Together event, a series of weekends hosted by local churches on behalf of Christ Central. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Thank you. We're trying to cover the book of Ephesians, and uh, we've looked at the first two chapters, or rather summarized the first two chapters. The first thing God is doing is bringing all things together in Christ. He's uniting heaven and earth. He did it on the cross. He did it in the person of Jesus. And because we're in Jesus, because we're joined to him, we're in that new creation. And living stones, new creations, need to live out what God has done. And God has chosen us in Christ. And he's chosen us as this masterpiece. This cre- you're a new creative being. And he's chosen you, preordained things for you to walk in. And we're going to unpack some of that. In fact, that's what devoted is all about, to be honest. I think for ten years, we've called people together in a muddy field in Yorkshire... And equip the church to be the church, which is great. We want to equip churches to be churches. But we now feel, God's speaking to us, to equip the church to do the function of the church. And the function of the church is to be the church in everyday life. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesday nights, but actually in life, down your street, in your office, in your school, Wherever you live and breathe and have your being, we want to help equip you to live out your life for Jesus. Which brings us to our third chapter and our third verse. That this is what we're called to do. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. 3.10. His intent. What is God's purpose? What is God's intent? His intent is now that through the church... The manifold wisdom, the multicoloured, the variegated wisdom of God, which, by the way, is a title of Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, in other words, Jesus, should be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, you might think that just is restricted to heavenly places. It doesn't just mean up there. It means wherever there's government, Wherever there's rule, wherever there's order, wherever there's organisation, wherever people congregate together, whether it's in offices, in schools, whether it's in communities, you are called, we are called to be the church declaring the manifold wisdom of God, which is Jesus, living it out. And God is calling us to turn church inside out. He's taught us over these 30 years how to build solid churches, how to build churches according to the New Testament pattern, how to have apostolic and prophetic foundations in the church, how to have good government, how to be wise about leadership, how to be wise as we train and equip people, but actually we've kept it within the four walls of the church quite often. We've had great prophecy in the church. We've had great worship in the church. We've had great declarative preaching and declarative talking about Jesus in the church. Now God is calling his creative, prophetic, worshipping, well-taught people to live it out in everyday 
life. That was God's original intent for mankind. God's original intent was that we would be those who ruled and reigned in life. Adam and Eve were created to be that. They were created to be God's vice regents. They were created to carry his government. They were created to carry his authority. They were created to declare his image. They were made in the image of God, created to bring in the rule and authority of God into life. We haven't got time to unpack that today, but that's what they were called to do when they were naming things. When they were doing things in the garden, actually they were ruling and reigning, bringing God's rule in. Of course, we know that through the fall, they lost that. But in Christ, we have been restored to rule and to reign. Now, sometimes our minds go to the eternity. Perhaps they do when I'm preaching anyway. <laughs> it feels like eternity. <laughs> and we know that one day we'll rule and reign with Christ. I was taught that in Sunday school. One day, on some planet somewhere, <laughs> left of Venus, we'll rule and reign with Jesus. That is true. We will. There will be an eternal rule and reign. If you look into the book of Revelation, it promises the saints will reign with him forever. We'll rule with him. We'll bring in government. But do you know what? Ahead of time, as a prophetic eschatological act, we are called to rule and reign now in life. Let me give you a verse for that. A famous verse. Romans 5.17 For if by the trespass of one man... That's Adam's sin. Death reigned through that one man. Well, if, it's not if, it's if by that, if that happened, if death came by one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness? And that's been a bit of a watchword, been a bit of a watch saying for New Frontiers, Terry, I've heard him so many times preach out of those verses about grace and about the gift of righteousness, that we are given this free gift. It's all of grace. It's not our doing. We haven't earned it. It wasn't our merit. It was all of him. But somehow I think we forget where the verse goes. It doesn't just say we'll have a happy life. It just doesn't say we'll have a good life. It says that we, it says here in that verse, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In context, that doesn't just mean you'll be able to say no to sin in your own life. Of course it means that. That's part of reigning, ruling yourself. We will say you can't lead anyone else until you can lead yourself. But it doesn't end with leading yourself. It means rule in life. It means everywhere you live, whether you're employed or not, where you shop, where you work, if you work, where you're educated, if you're being educated, where you live, because every one of us lives in a community somewhere, you're called to bring in rule. What does that mean? Oh, I'm called to obviously be the headmaster. Obviously, I'm called to be the... um, Uh, boss in the factory if I'm called to rule and reign obviously I'm going to be the the teacher in the school the head obviously I'm going to be the the, the chief of the neighbourhood watch obviously I'm no it means to bring in the kingdom of God and you don't have to be the top dog to bring in the kingdom of God in fact Jesus modelled servant leadership where you become the servant of all to bring in the kingdom of God now sociologists those who study man's activity reckon 
that there are different spheres or domains of life. Let me tell you what one sociologist said. He named eight domains or spheres of life. And I just want to unpack some of these for you and show you where the church has been in the past or where it could be in the future, ruling and reigning and demonstrating, declaring to the rulers that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the light, Jesus is the life. These are the spheres of life. Economic and financial, that's one. Agricultural, now that doesn't mean a lot to us probably today in Derby. But actually, in about half an hour, you're all going to be eating the fruits of agriculture in one way or the other. It means a lot. You just don't realise how much it means. If you go to Africa or a developing nation, you'll realise how important the kingdom of God is in agriculture. Education, three. Four, medical science and technology. Five, communication. Six, governance and justice. Seven, arts and entertainment. Eight, social and family life. Dear friends, the church has been relegated to the last one of those. If you talk to government, they'll push us down to social and family. The church needs to rise up. We are in Christ together as the community of God. And the church collectively needs to rise up and take responsibility in every area of life. We need to commit to training to encouragement, to prophesying, to stirring one another, that we get involved with every area of life. We've left, we've abdicated. That's what happens sometimes. When Christians abdicate, it doesn't leave a vacuum of authority. Other authorities come in and set their agenda for education. Other, hey, let's take this first one. The financial community. I mean... What has marked the last five to seven years more than the finances, more than the international banking and financing? Dream with me a bit. What would it have been like if there'd been some godly, Christian, kingdom of God influencers, and I'm sure there are some, but what if there'd been a lot? that said, no, we won't keep screwing that down like that. We won't keep getting rich like that. We won't keep making the poor poorer and the rich richer. We will operate some kingdom of God principles. We'll operate some ethical principles here. Nothing wrong with business. Business is a good thing. God loves business. He likes actually, he's happy for us to make money as long as it's invested well and as long as we're careful with the proceeds of it and as long as we see that our responsibility is to lift the poor. What would it have been like, dear friends? Why is the world like it is? Is it because there's a bad devil? Yes, but it's also because we didn't let the light shine. And stop blaming the devil for something we've done. Oh, it's the wicked world. Yeah, the world is wicked. There is an evil one. But in the evil day, we're supposed to stand. In the evil day, we're supposed to shine. In the evil day. And people say, it's ever so dark out there. Oh, it's very dark at my work. Why do you think God might have put a light in there then? Why do you think that's the wisdom of God, that he'd put a little light in there to let light shine in the darkness? Do you know what? It's actually easier to shine your light in darkness than it is when it's light. God's made it really easy for you. It's getting darker out there. You're shining. Take the next one. Agriculture. You think that doesn't relate to us at all? Well, it really does. And 
David and I had the privilege of being at Anline with David, had a, conf- a privilege of being at a conference in Zambia this summer and seeing amazing people from Farming God's Way, or as we now call it, Foundations for Farming, who are saying this, if you apply Kingdom of God principles to farming, I mean, whoever thought of this? Farming, your maize, and it's maize isn't just nice corn on the cob that you have, you know, once on a Saturday treat, watching the telly or something. It's not, it's not just corn on the cob. Maize is staple carbohydrate filler diet. It's what Africa lives on. It feeds a nation. And if you apply kingdom of God, basic good stewardship, you can turn maize that grows that height into maize that grows that height. And you can turn corn on the cob that looks like this, a banana size, to corn on the cob that's like that. And literally, we've saw the evidence of that. That's the kingdom of God in evidence, in work. And we've abdicated responsibility from farming and agriculture. Now, there may not be many farmers or agriculturalists here, but we need Pete. Are there some? Is there anyone in farming or agriculture? God bless you. We need people to operate kingdom of God principles in agriculture, just as we need them to do it in banking. Education. Just talking to my friend Ruth, and she said she's just been helping her daughter in school. She's not the head, she's an ordinary teacher, isn't she? How how many years? Four or five years? About five years teaching. And Ruth said this, it was such a privilege to see my daughter walk into the classroom. It was like Jesus walked in the room. It was like there was the kingdom of God was in it. It was like something happened, more than I'd seen her in church, she said. Because that's the trouble is, we only look at leadership gifts in church. We've had a wrong, warped view of leadership. We're saying that you can only really exercise your leadership to be a small group leader. Great. And then if you're really lucky, if you're really blessed of the Lord, if you're really anointed, we might let you become an overseer of small groups. You know, get that. And then if you're really anointed... And you happen to be a bloke, (laughs) we might let you be an elder. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I honour the gift of eldership. I actually do believe we need fathers in the local church who are elders. I am one, and we need those, and there are many here, and we honour them. But that is not the only way of working out leadership gift. God has called all his people to be creative, and all his people to be leaders. And you don't have to be the top dog to lead. I told you at North, I'm going to tell you again, of the story of Laura. She was an NQT, newly qualified teacher, the lowest of the low in school. Somebody said to me, no, that's not the lowest of the low, Jeremy. We have classroom assistants now that are lower than that. But it kind of feels low. She was freshly out of college. She went to a London school, and it was a rough school. And they, of course, to help her in her educational progress, put her in charge of the most difficult class. Because that's what we do with the NQTs. The people who don't know how to do it, we put them in charge of the most difficult ones, so they'll really learn, sink or swim. She said it was just anarchy in the classroom. She said it was uh, difficult. She said there was um, all sorts of attitudes and atmospheres there. And she said, do you know what was worse than the classroom? 
was the staff room. <laughs> now there's a surprise, leadership matters. And she said it was like, it was backbiting and antagonistic. And she said, do you know what the worst place in the staff room was? It was the staff kitchen. And as you open the staff fridge, this wave hit you of antagonism. It was like all these post-it notes, yellow post-it notes were on things. It said, my sandwiches, keep your thieving hands off. Who pinched my milk last week? I'm going to get you, you son of a... I mean, it was nasty stuff. I mean, really horrible stuff on sticky notes in the fridge. And she cried out to God. She's not the head. She's not the chair of governors. She's the lowest of the low in the school. She cried out, God, help me. God, how can I bring the kingdom of God into life? And God said, go and buy the biggest carton of milk you can find from me. And she said, no, I've obviously asked the wrong question. How can I influence the culture of the school? How can I change things in school? I'm the lowest of the low. Perhaps I should go on the PTA. Or perhaps I should become a teacher governor. Or perhaps I should learn to become a head of department. God says, go and buy some milk. So she obeys. She goes and buys the biggest carton of milk she can carry. She puts it in the fridge. She puts her sticky note on it. And she says, with love, help yourself. Free milk. And she said, it was amazing. Within a few days, because she carried this on for several days, all the other post-it notes started to come down out of embarrassment. She said, the atmosphere in the staff room started to change as people talked about random acts of kindness and what that means in today's society. She said, what was incredible is it didn't stop in the, cl- in the staff room. It kind of reverberated into the classroom. Leadership matters. And she said, within a term... There was a much calmer, more peaceful attitude in the classrooms. Within a year, the academic standards of the school started to turn around. The kingdom of God came to that classroom, that school. Why? Because one little girl, one newly qualified teacher, said yes to a kingdom of God principle. Who heard God and didn't prophesy in church. (laughs) Who heard God... And worked it out in the workplace. Education. Medical, science and technology. I'll tell you an old story. There was once um, quite a rich businessman in the Victorian era in the late 1700s. And uh, this man came to Christ under the preaching of Wesley and Whitfield. And uh, was radically impacted by them. And was told by them... That you should use the gift you have, the talent you have, for good. It's kind of the same message that we're saying, really. What has God given you? What are uniquely yours? Well, this guy was pretty unique at one thing. Brewing beer. (laughs) Not very godly, is it? Well, he said, how can I use... And actually, what was happening in his day was this. In the late 1700s, and we don't appreciate this today, especially living where it rains an awful lot. The water supply was poisoned. The water supply was infiltrated by sewage and dysentery and cholera. And in their day, it was not safe to drink water. So if you wanted to drink lots of fluid, you drank lots of alcohol because it purified it. And particularly, spirits and gin were the thing to drink. And people would, the common people, would just get drunk on gin. This man revolutionized things because he gave them believe it or not what was considered today or then and actually up till fairly recently was considered a health drink 
He developed an alcoholic health drink to help the poor. And through this man, amazing things happened. People stopped drinking gin. They started to live better. He started to treat his factory workers with dignity. He's one of the first people who gave medical benefits to his staff. He, was one of the, he used the profits from his not substantial industry to set up hospitals for, for, the, for the poor and the first schools, Sunday schools they called them, which were schools to help people get educated. In the end, he became knighted. We know him today as Sir Arthur Guinness. So he used his talent for God in the medical science and technological industry. Communication industry. We have a girl in our church called Rachel. And Rachel is involved with website and development. She's done our website. She's done a great job on various things for us locally in Manchester. And a young lady came to her fairly recently and just asked her advice about some of the communication and ways she should uh, uh, use her thing. She was designing t-shirts and uh, logos and all sorts of things were going on with these t-shirts. Some of them were slightly seedy, to be honest with you, because one of the things this girl, not Rachel, but the girl she was advising was doing was taking sailors' motifs, sailors' tattoos, and putting them on t-shirts. And Rachel said, I like that one. In fact, I want to tell you this. If you use that one, you'll be successful. Because it was a tattoo of a heart with faith, hope, and love across it. And she just felt God say, if you use that one, it'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Anyway, the girl took her advice. She, it became her biggest seller. She got a double-page spread in Murray Claire magazine with this girl wearing this T-shirt of faith, hope, and love. And actually, if you look, there's quite a lot of those tattooy kind of uh, motifs on T-shirts. Rachel, little girl, as it were, was able to influence that today. Governance and justice. We haven't got time, but we could look at Wilberforce and how he changed 200 years ago, how he changed the slavery laws and abolished slavery in our day. My question is this. It's all very well for us to look back and say, isn't it good that Christians brought slavery down in our nation? Who's standing up now for the sex slaves in our nation? Where is the Christian input into the euthanasia debate? See, you get swayed by all sorts of emotions in that. Oh, it's so, it's so difficult, the right to die. You do not have the right to die. No more than you had the right to be born. It's God who sets these times. And it's so important, dear friends, because what will happen is, it happened in the 1960s with abortion. Abortion was never designed as birth control. Abortion was designed to help a mother who was going to die have a, an operation to save her life. That was the argument they used to persuade the parliamentarians and to persuade the public that abortion could be legalised. And it was about saving life, not taking it. Those very same laws now, it's just a book, it's just, well, it's another contraceptive. We just get rid of it. I don't like it. It doesn't suit my lifestyle. If we give in to euthanasia the right to die, how long will it be before it's, it's inconvenient to have granny around? How long will it be before those who feel a disability in their body feel, actually, I'm a waste of space. 
I'm in the way. How long will it be before we start to ethnically cleanse and to genetically modify our society? Dear friends, we need Christians to influence all of life, to stand up. Arts and entertainment, another one from the Victorian era. We tend to think of Wilberforce, but another famous person from, these very, from this very area was a guy called Wedgwood. What's he famous for? You should know here. Pottery, that's right. His famous blue, eggshell blue and white pottery were the fashion accessories of their day. It wasn't just something nice that you put on your wedding list. This was, this was a real skill. He was a master potter. And he got saved again under Wesley and Whitfield's influence. And he asked them, what should I do with my gift? And Whit- oh, Wilberforce said this, number one, please give me lots of money. I need lots of money to help me with my anti-slavery laws. And he did that. Wedgwood was very generous. He gave money, he gave money, he gave money, he gave money. And we need businessmen and businesswomen. We need people. It's not, money is not dirty. We've got this wrong. It's not the love, it's not money that's the root of all evils. It's the love of money. And this guy didn't love it, actually. He was quite happy to give it away. Money's a good thing to be given away. It's a good thing to bless people with. It's a very good thing. Let's not have any of this thing that it's dirty money, filthy lucre. No, it's the love of money that's wrong, not money itself. And he gave and he gave and he gave. And by the way, we'd love you to give this afternoon and give and give. And maybe some of us can only give a few pounds. But maybe there's some of us here who are like Wedgwoods. We've got a good business and God's enabled us to do that. And rather than just invest it in children in need, I've got nothing against children in need, I think it's a wonderful charity. But actually, we've got a world in need. And we need to plant churches everywhere and go to every nation. And uh, Wedgwood was brilliant in that. But not just that, he also said, uh, Wilberforce also said to Wedgwood, use your talent for God. That's what I'm saying to you. Use your talent for God. There's something unique. He said, I'm a potter. I make plates. You don't understand it. He said, use your talent for God. So Wedgwood designed a fashion accessory that was made out of porcelain, made out of the same material that he'd been using, but wasn't a plate, but was a brooch. Now, you might think brooches is something your granny wears. But actually, looking around, who's wearing brooches? Um, my wife probably. <laughs> you wear a brooch sometimes, don't you? There's nothing wrong with brooches. But in, in our day, brooches aren't considered a, a fashion, a huge fashion accessory. In the, their day, they were the fashion accessory. It was like all the ladies and everyone who was everyone had a different brooch. And he mastered this technique of putting his blue and whites on it. And he had this beautiful little picture of a slave breaking free from chains and under it were these words am I not a man and a brother it was like a slogan it became the most have fashion accessory of its day all the rich ladies across the United Kingdom were wearing this brooch whether they believed in it or not whether they actually believed in that cause or not they decided they would like to wear it. It became like, you know those bands that people wear, you know, make poverty history. or People just wear them as a fashion accessory sometimes. And actually, they don't realise what they're doing, but they were advertising. Historians reckon that actually um, Wedgwood did as much 
to help change the mind of people, of the ordinary man, ordinary woman as it were, as much to do that as all that Wilberforce did in Parliament. Where are the artists and the creative people here? Where are the people who are called to bring in creativity? God wants to release you to use your talent for him. Let me give you the last one. Family and social life. It's probably the one we're most familiar with, but possibly the one that we're doing the least with. We are well equipped to bring the gospel into family life. And well equipped to bring it into social life. Anne and I have a a penchant for watching the one show. We get uh, most of our cultural, and you can see why, most of our cultural uh, insight and window into the UK from Matt and Alex on the sofa, and occasionally Chris Evans on the sofa, uh, at 7 o'clock on, on, a, on the BBC One. And literally, this was just before North last year, because I referred to it, we watched a one-show programme with this lady, this um, lady sitting on the sofa... And she, uh, it's interesting, what earth is she going to do? And uh, she didn't look that impressive, if I'm honest with you. She didn't look like a star. She didn't look like a film star or an author. She looked quite ordinary. And they said, we want to introduce you to Mimi Asher. Mimi Asher has changed her community. Now, it later came out that she was a Christian. But this is Mimi's story. I wrote it down from the one show. Mimi described her estate... And I won't do her accent, but she was a uh, um, West Indian lady. She's a place that not now, won't I? <laughs> but she was like that. She was a, a, a lady of a certain age with a certain accent. As a place that not even the devil himself would walk because of the young people who terrorised my state. One gang member, she said, was pictured on the front of the Sun newspaper brandishing a sub-machine gun from her estate. When she found out that her son Michael had joined this gang, she decided that she must do something about it to stop him wrecking his life. So she decided to take on the gang, not with violence, but with love. She started to invite the gang members into her home and cared for them, offered to feed them and wash their clothes. This is not rocket science. Simple care, simple hospitality without fear. She helped set up a range of activities to give these young people something to do. She set up a football team, Steve. She gave them cookery lessons and dance lessons. (laughs) She helped prepare healthy meals with them and gave them safe access to computers and information about training courses. And from there, a remarkable story emerged with the gang eventually, three years later, being decommissioned as a result of the love that she constantly demonstrated. Through her faithful witness over three years, notice not three weeks... Three years, but not 30 years either. Three years. Mimi and her neighbours, because she did this in community, helped 60 people out of gangs and saw their lives transformed. The young man pictured on the sun with the submachine gun is now a respected mentor helping other young people out of gangs. The ex 
leader, Carl Loco. Don't you know you're made to be a gang leader if your name is Carl Loco? Don't mess with him, he's Loco. Carl Loco is now a successful professional musician and acts as a mentor to help other young people leave gangs. But the best news of all was this. And the one show ended with a clip, and at this point you realised she was a Christian, if you hadn't already, of Mimi's Church, a Pentecostal church in London, and they're all clappy and happy and full of the spirit. And the best news is this. Her son Michael, through this process, became a Christian and now preaches regularly in her local church. And there was a clip of him preaching the gospel. We were praying for our non-Christian relatives. Actually, one of the ways is for us to demonstrate love to the outsider. One of the ways is for us to be preaching the gospel, not always in words, of course words, but in deeds as well. And I'll end by saying this. God's calling us to do this together. This is about being in Christ together. Now, sometimes we get sent out into the world on our own. Sometimes it feels like we're lonely. It feels like my little light shining in my office. But it's ever so important that we understand this is a communal thing we're doing. This is something we can do together to support one another, to care for one another, to be praying for one another. And alongside our praying for our church plants, alongside our praying for nations to be broken through, we need to pray for penetration of the gospel and kingdom living lifestyle in everyday life. We also need to demonstrate good works. These are all good works. It's ever so interesting what Jesus said. I've referred a lot to this passage about the light to the world. This is actually what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. You. He said he was the light of the world. Now he says you are because you're in him. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light lamps and put them under bowls. Instead, they put them on stands and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. One of the ways we preach the gospel is to live it out, to be living letters. Through good works. Now, we don't do good works to get people saved. We do good works simply to love people because they're made in God's image and we want to see people blessed and restored. But a byproduct of it is going to be lots of people coming to know Him, lots of people coming to the kingdom. And I believe there is going to be a rising tide of antagonism towards us. There is a rising tide of antagonism towards Christians. Christians are being targeted by certain sectors of society because of our views on sexuality. Christians are being targeted by certain view, certain sectors of society because of our views on family life, because of our views on the importance of life and when it starts and when it shouldn't end. Christians are being targeted. I believe what will save the day, yes, is the grace of God, but it's us living out a kingdom lifestyle. I'll prove that by a verse, if you like proof text. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. I came across this recently. It totally stunned me. I've read it hundreds of times, probably, but I've never quite seen it in this context. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, we hate your sexuality. We hate your family values. We hate your view on abortion. We hate your view on euthanasia. Although... 
they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Dear friends, it's as we live out our in Christness, it's as we're in Christ together in the world that I believe that God will demonstrate his kingdom in life. I believe that we'll see more sick healed in the classroom than in the church. That we'll see more poor blessed and lifted up. We'll see more families restored. We'll see more lives changed. It's time that we need to change our thinking. We've had two decades of inviting people to our courses. I love Alpha. We've seen hundreds of people saved through Alpha. It's great. But it's now time that we get on their courses. It's now time that we get into life. It's now time that we infiltrate society. Because we are these secret agents. We are agents of the kingdom. We are those who are called to bring light into darkness. We're going to apply a lot of this this afternoon. But just before we break for lunch, I feel there's a seriousness on us right now. I feel there's a sobriety on us right now. I feel there's a weight of responsibility on us right now. That in this room are Laura's and Mimi's and Wilberforce's and Wedgwood's and Brian Aldreeves, who created Farming God's Way, Foundations for Farming. There are people who are change agents for the kingdom. And Lord Jesus, we take our responsibility seriously. You told us, Lord, to go into all the world. You told us to go into every strata of society. Where we live, where we shop, where we work, where our families are. And you told us, Lord, to be the light of the world. Lord, we want you to turn up at our school. But like Ruth said, as her daughter walked in, it's like Jesus walked into the room. Yeah, because we're in Christ. As we go into our factories, into our schools and colleges, as we go into our offices, as we go into our coffee shops, as we go into our supermarkets, we ask you, Lord Jesus, that the kingdom of God would come. And we pray together, Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that in Jesus' name. And we give all the glory to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.